What's going on, everybody? I hope you're having a great start to your holiday season. Hope everybody is safe and well in your life, continuing to stay safe during this COVID-19 wave that we're experiencing here in the United States. Uh, keep wearing your mask. Keep doing your best to social distance. Um, vaccines are on the way, and you know I think we're all very excited to put this you know really tragic chapter of world history behind us. So continue to stay safe. Uh, if you're traveling over the holidays, please be careful. Take all the precautions necessary. Okay, uh, Eritrea and I are doing our final roundup of the year. This is for December. She and I dig into a couple of things that I've been particularly passionate about recently, talking about disability and diabetes and the words that we use and the vernacular we use around our diseases that there has been a lot of internet commentary and conversations about over the last week or so. And I think I just wanted to weigh in and kind of give my thoughts as a person who has definitely fallen guilty to the achievement culture side of not feeling worthy with their diabetes unless they are achieving something great. So wanted to talk a little bit through that and get Eritrea's thoughts as well. And I think there's been a lot of really good conversation being led on Twitter, especially by people very recently. So dig in and let me know what you think. And I think for for me, you're going to hear me talk more about identifying as a, as a person who is disabled and really recognizing and calling out the disability of diabetes because that's what it is. And I think that that doesn't make your dreams any less within reach. I think we just need to do a better job of recognizing and accepting that we are doing a lot of work just to stay alive every day. So I see you out there. I know what you're going through. And I think I'm just trying to do my best to represent everybody with diabetes in a way that feels authentic, approachable, and doesn't deny all of the work that we're all doing every day just to stay alive. So enjoy this episode with Eritrea and I, and we'll see you guys in 2021. Amazing stories from all over the world. What's going on, everybody? It's December. Y'all ready for the holidays? How about you, Eritrea? Are you ready? <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Yeah. Merry Christmas. All that. Christmas, New Year's. Eh, we do it big over here. How about you? First married uh, holiday. Ooh. Ooh, that's exciting. Yeah. Well, because we did, we had the in-laws uh, for Thanksgiving, a small little gathering at our house. Um, we're doing holidays, like Christmas holiday, just, just us. So... We're like, shout out Ryan Fye, we're Kish, we're just us. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think we, we have a little tree left over from our apartment. Erica got some like garland and stuff. So like the house, it's our first Christmas in the new house. So we're like, you know, we're, we're decorating. We got a little holiday spirit, okay. you know what I mean? I wouldn't say Get that a little it's first like, Christmas ornament, bro. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. Man, we need to do that. I'm, I'm not as good as like, uh, you know, at those sentimental things. Uh, my mom's good at that stuff. Uh, Erica, it's not really None her are the worst. We're trying. Man, I don't know. You know, it's just, it's the just worst. learning. It's got to, got you got to always be learning. So I guess if you're listening to this and you have like first year of marriage, like tips, you should email us or hit me up on Instagram hit me in the inbox. So I know what to do. I mean, by um, ornament, I just told you, dog. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to do that. But I mean, other people may have other hot takes. Who knows? Um, so it's December. We're This is going to go live on the 17th. 
So we'll be whatever, mm-hmm. eight days from the Christmas holiday, followed by New Year's. You know, uh, for me, that time is usually spent being creative, like batching things. So like in 2000, end of 2000, uh, I guess 18, I launched the Tools of Type 1 series. So that was uh, a lot of that time was spent doing that. Um, And so that I I don't want to tease this out any more than we already will, but we have a new series that you have been working on uh, alongside me, get your first producer credit. Uh, and it's going to be one of the biggest projects we've ever done. So I, I think it's, the, not, it may not be the biggest, but it's the most important work I think we've done to date on this channel and this platform. So I'm really excited to share that with you guys. And that'll be coming in January. So it's going to be a, going to be a blast. I think you've been doing important work for a while, but this is going to be good. It's going to be dope. It's litty. Um, end of the year is always really good for me. I thoroughly enjoy not working the last couple weeks of the year because I'm so lucky to have that during my day job um but I also celebrate my two of my wedding anniversaries because I'm multicultural so I had more than one wedding so we celebrate the 23rd which was our nikah and we celebrate the 29th which is our wedding anniversary and we've been married for three years look at that I know I feel so grown up it's so weird (laughs) we were trying to remember the date 2017 uh yeah yeah, we had our Nikah 2017, and then we had our big American-style Mexican mariachi wedding in 2018. And now, yeah, we've been married for three years. It's crazy town to me. But we're chucking along. We're making it. Whatever. Yeah, you are. We, this is uh, essentially <laughs> you're celebrating. I'm, I'm celebrating an anniversary this week as well. Uh, it's the four-year anniversary of Recreation, my company, uh, with my business oh my partner. God. So we filed our LLC four years ago. December 15th so that'll be on day of publishing that'll be uh the Tuesday before this goes live so big congrats thunderous applause for you and me and anybody else out there who is celebrating anniversary or an achievement an accomplishment it's okay to pat yourself on the back sometimes and be like you know what man I made it I did a good job yeah you did so you know we made it to the end of the worst year in recent history so yeah um you know I it's been interesting seeing some of the narratives of like, oh yeah, I can't wait for 2021 as if like everything that's going wrong right now is going to stop uh, just because the calendar shifts. But uh, I think it is a new, I understand also the rhythm of the new year. I, I also, you know, get very sort of reflective at this time of year, like looking back of all we've done and all the things that we've learned. So uh, I understand the need to do that, but also I think stay safe, stay diligent. Um, Know, keep doing what you can do to stop the spread we just got vaccines uh, across the country today so you know help us on the way listen to your doctors and your doctor friends because uh, that information is out there it's good stuff um, okay. okay well we have uh, a little bit of an abbreviated schedule today than my normal wax poetic long form talking self so I want to make sure we jump right into it. So right away, I think you and I, uh, you're going to interview me a little bit, and we're going to talk about some cool topics that have been trending lately in the diabetes online community. Oh, okay. Um, well, Rob, how I'm going to interview you. <laughs> how are you feeling about the, um, I guess, with the conversations that have been happening online of disabled ableism and just different viewpoints in diabetes do you feel diabetes is a disability or not yeah so i I think last last week 
Um, there was a viral tweet in the diabetes online community uh, on Twitter, obviously about, and the discussion was around disability and diabetes and shocker people with diabetes have like, they have hot sports opinions, you know, like what, so <laughs> on whatever, it doesn't matter what it is on either side, you're going to have people who are very passionate about their point of view. Um, and I think kind of looking back at my own life, I was able to think about and see both sides of the equation. So Here's what I'm gonna say. Diabetes is under the Americans with Disabilities Act, American Disabilities Act, the ADA, is classified as a, as a disability. So like facts, big facts, diabetes is a disability. Now, I think when you start talking about ableism and you start talking about chronic illnesses, I think we have to be very careful and very mindful of the language that we use to describe each other especially within diabetes, because everybody's diabetes is different and everybody manages it differently. I think what's interesting to me is that, and I was given a little bit of clarity on this point earlier this year, because I watched a documentary on Amazon called Pistorius, which is about Oscar Pistorius, the South African Olympian who uh, murdered his girlfriend with like an assault I was about rifle. to say, can I please say, like, because when you say his name, I just think, poor little Tink Tink. This is that's him, right? Is that the same guy? What do you like? I'm I'm sure like Tink Tink. I'm not sure if I pick it up. Yeah, you've never heard that joke. Never mind. Continue, Pretorius. And sorry, I'm. There's a joke about this guy with the legs because he was disabled and he had those legs. It's a whole Cat Williams skit that's been done on the internet a million times. Sorry. Okay, Continue. sorry, Cat Williams. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, pimpin since been pimpin since been pimpin since been pimpin. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry for not catching that joke. Okay, so back to the disabled conversation. Oscar Pistorius was born with a defect in his legs and his lower limbs. And he ran in the Olympics with the able-bodied people. He also competed in the, um, the Paralympic games as well. He's like wow. the greatest Paralympic sprinter, at least for his time. Um, but he was very, he had a very hard line that he didn't want to be considered disabled. He didn't want to be treated like he had a disability. And mm -hmm. as I was watching his documentary, I felt that if he had just had a better sense of acceptance around what his reality was like, saying you're disabled and agreeing with being disabled and agreeing that you have a disability is not a negative thing. I think like connotation around those things needs to, sh to be shifted because I think for me, we, you know, when you think about words and the, and the power of words, disabled disability sound inherently negative, uh, but they're not, I think, especially when they're, where they're facts. And I would argue that if Oscar Pistorius had had a better relationship with his disability, he likely would not be in prison today or under permanent I mean, house arrest or whatever he's, whatever he's currently facing for, and his, his fiance was... girlfriend would be alive. Um, okay. It's, that's a fair argument. I'm not going to argue against it, but I will say that the literal definition of it makes it real gray. Like it makes it less black and white because the definition of a disability is a physical or mental condition that limits a person's movement, senses, or activities. And as a person with diabetes, who's had diabetes for about 18 years, I'd be offended if somebody told me like, hey, this is going to stop you from doing stuff. Because I think a lot of diabetes is, I am beyond. I can do more than what my diabetes allows. So I can see how someone would argue 
it's not a disability for me because I am able-bodied, I'm able-minded, I'm, it doesn't limit me in any way. Yeah, and, and I, I think that that type of discussion is, is good to a certain extent. I think when it becomes denial, it's such a fine line, you know? Yeah. Um, I was thinking about it last night, trying to prepare like salient talking points for this very important podcast. Um, and <laughs> I was like, you know, the amount of work that I do to manage my diabetes, I would never accept from anyone external for free ever. And like just the amount of thinking that I have to do. So with that in mind, I was like, okay, well, this really is like, you know, no matter what your personal definition of disability might be, or whether you can see yourself in the actual definition of disability, you are actively managing something that a non-disabled person does not ever have to think about. And so I think it does classify as a disability. And I think I'm comfortable now, whereas I may not have been comfortable earlier in my life for a lot of the reasons that you said, saying like, I am disabled. Uh, and, that, and, I, and I don't have to own that as, as something negative. You know, I don't have yeah. to. And I think that also, when you deny yourself the ability to accept yourself and your disability, to accept your whole self, I think that you are denying yourself the work or the appreciation or even just the mindfulness of the work that you have to do to stay alive every single day. And I think that you should be applauded for living beyond, like you said, or overcoming your diabetes or doing incredible things, doing things in spite of your diabetes. But I don't think it should minimize what you actually just have to do to stay alive. Um, whether that's psychosocial, mental, physical, financial, uh, mathematical, you know, sleep cycle, all, all of these things that we now can, you know, have like brought us together. People always say like, oh, this is the, the best club you never wanted to be a part of. Uh, I think unequivocally, I would give it back. Like, don't, like <laughs> yeah, you, know, you keep I, this. <laughs> Yeah. Keep it, take it back. I, this is, I, and I'm the, the first to say, it's kind of interesting, like talking out of both sides of my mouth a little bit here. You know, really? I have, uh, I go and I speak and I have this, pl these platforms and I look like a, I don't look, you know, look like a person with diabetes like with the quotation marks, the air quotes, right? Like, Oh, you don't look diabetic. And I think there's been a lot of conversations about, okay, well, what does a person with diabetes look like? Absolutely. Um, and I think I am also guilty of participating in a culture around showing really fit, really beautiful, really strong, exciting, and interesting people with diabetes and being like, hey, like, look at this, like your idea of diabetes and what it looks like is not correct. Look at this person. Look at this example. Well, it could just um, be any, I mean, it can be anybody could have diabetes, right? That's the whole idea. But also, I wonder if with I, the feelings of I overcame and I am not disabled, right? With that, you know, earlier when we were talking about it a little bit, I said it, it felt like really toxic uh, male energy. But as I think about it more, I feel like even in like my culture, Black culture, Hispanic culture, Arab people, what is this need to suffer? Because if I think about like the, the word disability and in the United States, what it means, like there are not perks, but there are a little bit of breaks that you can catch. Like you can get that tag on your car, you can get some kind of government assistance, whatever. So if you do qualify as disabled, if you are diabetic, if you have epilepsy, whatever it might be, 
what's the harm in making things a little bit easier for yourself, right? What is this inherent human need to struggle or to achieve or whatever it might be? Yeah, you know, I think it's, you know, I think, it, again, it's insecurity is part of it. Um, and acceptance of self, you know, uh, diabetes is hard for a lot of reasons. And I think the, you know, the one, uh, if you're looking at like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like what is like self-actualization is the top one. And, you know, I think you can do a lot of things with your diabetes and like live a good life with it without really accepting it. Um, and that can cause you a lot of strain. I think for me personally, going through, uh, a lot of, like you said, toxic masculine sort of foundational elements of my life that was like, uh, kill or be killed, eat or be eaten, uh, in the sports world, things that I thought were serving me, uh, and that I could apply to other parts of my life. I had to grow up to realize that some of those are not serving me the way that they should. I had to do a lot of therapy, you know, um, and I think self-acceptance and being like, you know what, here I am, this is who I am today. This is who I am forever as a person with diabetes. Um, I have a disability, you know, that doesn't, and, and, and I think again, like ableism is such a really tough line to walk for people. I think like some of that internal monologue of, um, you know, hey, I do have a disability, but I'm not disabled. I think that you, when disabled people really read that or people who identify and like, you know, own that, read that, I feel, I think it feels uh, wrong, you know, feel, they feel less than. And I think that that's a really important message to make sure to put out. And I think that that goes to my next point, which is something that I included in my presentation. And it's kind of like clickbaity. My presentation is called From Professional Basketball Player to Professional Diabetic. And in that, so with the headline, I'm like, hey, I, come to listen to me. I played professional basketball, woohoo. Um, but in that, in, that, in that presentation though, I talk about achievement culture in diabetes and specifically around the stories that are highlighted, you know, even on this podcast, like we, you know, we highlight the yeah. amazing things people do. Um, and it was a big, it was a big light for me, like a big light bulb moment early on in this podcast when the most popular episode of my first 10 was just about what it's like to be a mom with diabetes and to have a baby with type one. And yeah. it wasn't, there wasn't, the, she didn't have 12 babies. She didn't run a marathon and then have a baby. She didn't climb a mountain. And she just wanted to have a life and listening to the, the psychosocial, the emotional weight, the, the working with a care team just to be able to do that was more relatable than somebody who ran across Canada. Or somebody yeah, absolutely. Whatever. Yeah. Normalize being normal. Like it is okay to struggle. It's okay to have bad days. Like you do not have to wake up every single day and be Rob Howe. <laughs> so, but you know what? Even you do. So it's, everybody has those tough days. So I think normalize, normalize being normal. Like I say. Well, and like, like you said just now, like today I woke up Rob Howe at today. And this is very abnormal. Probably like it has only happened to me once in the last six months. Maybe I woke up today. I was 380. Uh, because I ate tacos for dinner last night pretty late. I gave the right bolus. I'm on a new pump, so I didn't have all my alerts all like cranked out. And I didn't wake up because my high alarms weren't activated. And so I woke up and I was like, wow, I feel like shit because I'm 380 and now I'm going to ride the roller coaster down. You know, that body loves that insulin. So it got me some. And then, and then I bounced back up because I thought I had overcorrected. And then I bounced back down, you know, so just been riding the roller coaster all day today. I'm like, man, 
you know, these are things that need to be shared from people, not just people like mm-hmm. me, but just people in general, because, you know, like what, whatever I might say, like, yeah, I still got all my stuff done today. I still had to come to the office so that the AC guy could, could fix the heater. But I, you know, I, that doesn't mean that I didn't deal with it. That doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. That doesn't mean that it's not a big part of my life. So I think where I net out on the disability is like, do I, do I, do I have a disability? Does Rob have a disability? Yes, I do. Am I disabled by the classification of disabilities? Yes, I am. Um, Does that mean that I'm not going to try my best tomorrow to do something that I love to do? No, but also like, don't judge me on my like achievements that even though like my personal talk to myself is very, I'm an achiever. That's my language. Uh, But if it wasn't, that's okay too. You don't have to be an achiever to be valuable. You don't have to, your story matters. It took me a long time to learn that. Like I still, I struggle with that. I think a lot of people do because you, we grew up, I don't know if it's our generation or the kids below us or whatever, but like, I didn't get no participation trophies, fam. Like that's not me. So it was either be the best or don't be. So I guess I get it. Like it's ingrained into all of us in some way to try to be the best at something. And so when you try to overcome this whole disabled thing, I can see how it can be kind of a mind game. Like, uh, I don't know. Big mind game. Diabetes is a big mind game. It's it's interesting. Like you talk about participation trophies, you know, I got my freshman year, I got the Christian character award on, uh, uh, for like the high school basketball team, like, which was like the award you give to the person who tries hard, but sucks. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I was, and you know, for me again, like I'm a, I'm an achiever. I went to, I went to Christian school. That's why it's a Christian character award. But like I came to practice every day. I had a good attitude. I tried my best. I'm not good. But I was like, damn, there's an MVP trophy. That's the, the fucking trophy that I want. Pardon my language. But like, that's the one that I want is the MVP. So I was like, okay, well, that's what I want. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, I was the valedictorian. I, I didn't care what my grades were. I just wanted you to were be valedictorian, you weirdo. I forgot. I yeah, that's you, why I, Erica found that out, and she was like, "You are you a murderer? Uh, you nerd?" And it's like, yeah. I mean, mostly my drug is. You just wanted your parents to be proud of you, huh? You just really wanted people to be proud. You're like, I want to make people proud. That's my thing. I guess. Yeah, Maybe it's you know, it I is. Know. It is that. I think a lot of the way that I talk to myself, and I think diabetes is part of this, is like I am capable. So I am capable of, you know, playing college basketball. That was probably the first thing I, or I am capable of being valedictorian. And then in college, I was like, I am capable of playing uh, this amount of minutes a game and like being, scoring this amount of points. And I'm capable of having a social life and being an athlete and making good grades. And, you know, as I get older, it's like, I am capable. Like, I like to travel. I like to have, uh, you know, I like to have friends. I like to get a lot out of my work i i'm a i'm a man that does both people talk about get you a man that can do both i am the man that does both like rob how ladies and gentlemen the man the myth the legend geez anyway guys i want to talk know, about bar- something else barf. but at the same time i think like, basically vomit <laughs> you like i think it's just a, an interesting discussion of like how we talk to ourselves doesn't negate mm. the fact that we really do have a disability that we are disabled and uh, you know i think that uh, trying to get somebody to change their mind on the internet is never like a healthy thing but like seeing some of those comments back and forth like i saw myself in both sides and i think i i think uh you know as we grow and live with diabetes and continue to have conversations with amazing people and meeting friends and having low moments and having you know awesome moments 
just remember that like if anybody asks you to do the amount of work that you uh, have to do to keep yourself alive, like you would be like, yo, okay, what's in it for me, dude? What's in it for me, man? So yeah, that's what me I'm all at. those like, diabetes that disability perks. I'm sorry, I'm so comfortable with the whole like I'm disabled. Like I don't take it in the bad way. Like I can board the plane first. My bag can be immediately checked for free. That's fine. Like I have insulin in here. So you know, if there's small perks that I can get from it. I try to look at the good side of it. Kind of make my life a tiny bit easier. Like it's a word, my guy. It doesn't have any power over me. Like, that's fine. I'm cool yeah. with being disabled. And I think that that's a really powerful place to be is to accept yourself, mm -hmm. to to know that you are you are who you are, and accepting yourself at, at you know just to say, hey, here I am. I'm a person with diabetes, and I have a disability. Point blank. Um, yeah. So I wonder if where we were diagnosed, like, because, okay, so Rob, so this is kind of interesting. Rob and I were both diagnosed at the same hospital here in Dallas, which I think like is, a year apart, two years apart. I was diagnosed in 2001. When were you diagnosed? Okay. 2005, January 1st, 2005. So four okay. years apart. So who's your doctor at Children's? So my endo, my pediatric endo is uh, Suma Adhikari. I know him and we volunteered together for like years and he is also a Camp Sweeney guy. So big time you. So let's talk about your experience because I want to tell you about mine because I've heard you talk about children's and like what a great experience it was for you and like JDRF and I I let you go on and on because I see how much you love it and I don't want to your little bubble. So tell me about about your thing. Well, you I mean. I, you can't pop the bubble. It happened that way for me, but like, I'd love to know. And I, and I think where I, where I think I have changed the story in recent years after talking with so many people is that the diagnosis experience that I had was very different. I had a very, mm -hmm. uh, I think part of it is I believe children's medical center is a great hospital. I got also got diagnosed at on New Year's Day where like, so I had a very dedicated skeleton crew. There were not very many other people in the endocrine wing. Um, and so I think I got special attention because of that. Uh, and also I had both my parents there who are both uh, type A people who wanted to grab it by both with both hands and really throw themselves into the work. And I think that played a part of it as well. So, I mean, I think my, you know, people don't know my story and then like, going and working with Dr. Adhikari, they kept me in the endocrine, pediatric endocrine wing till I was 18, which they normally wouldn't do because it was, anyway, it was like, they gave me special accommodations and Dr. Adhikari and I are still homies to this day. He, he and I went to yeah, lunch. He's a good guy. Pre-COVID went to lunch. We were on the JDRF Dallas board together. It's, it's good stuff. Yeah. He's a good guy. The doctors there are mostly good people. I, okay. So you are one of two siblings. How many siblings do you have? Uh, I have three siblings, but two are my uh, brother and sister from my mom and dad's marriage. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm just wondering how many kids were like kids when you were diagnosed. That's why I'm asking. My sister was, I was 16. So my sister was 13 and my brother was 10 or 11. Okay, cool. And then your parents helped with everything. Okay. That's, I mean, it sounds like a very, I don't know, to me, it sounds really normal. Cause I, I went to camp Sweeney. So I met a lot of kids with your story. Um, I was diagnosed in 2001 at children's in Dallas also, weird thing that happened when I was diagnosed was that the guy who was my attending in the emergency room with Dr. Brian Dixon was also my endocrinologist. So he became oh, my wow. endocrinologist later. So I just like happened to meet him. But I remember 
and I think I've told you the story is I sent my parents home. I was like, you guys don't have to be here for this. Like, I'm going to handle it. I was nine. They had my three siblings. So I was just like, y'all can go or my two younger ones. Um, y'all can go. And uh, they came back like the next day. So like my parents didn't necessarily like they tried to stay overnight, but I was really like, y'all should leave. This is embarrassing. Um, I was really embarrassed about the whole thing. It was really weird. And the doctors and nurses, like I felt like we were, it was just very adult for me, I felt like. And having to go from like being diagnosed there and then meeting Dr. Dixon and then immediately going directly into his endocrinology care, it was a lot of anxiety. He was a really, really good doctor and he was really nice to me. He was never mean to me. But every time I came in, he gave me a grade. It was really weird because I felt like he thought this was the only way my parents understood like how things were going. So he would tell me what my A1C is and he's like, right now, your grade is an F, like you're flunking, like you're not doing well at all. And so I'd go home and I'd get in so much trouble because my parents didn't understand, like they're immigrants. So they're thinking like, right. oh, your teacher just said you did something terrible. Like this is all your fault. So I did not do very well in my diabetes. My care was not very great at the beginning. Um, I don't think my care was even really good until I got older. When I was like 16, I started having really bad stomach and gut issues at children's. And so I started coming in and out of the hospital because my blood sugars wouldn't regulate because I couldn't digest my food. So I had to get like nose tubes. I had to get like this thing called go lightly in my, like pumped in my stomach. It was like ridiculous. Nobody ever diagnosed me with celiac disease. I had to figure it out when I was 22. And I was in and out of the emergency room to have my stomach pumped until I was like 18 for a long time. So that's why I just say like my care there was so different. Like I didn't, I got those classes that you went to that you talked about, the ones that are like a summit with your parents for like three days. I had those classes not all the way through because my parents had to like run to go get my other siblings. And it just, it felt like that program didn't fit my lifestyle at all. Like the care that they delivered there didn't fit a person like me because it just wasn't in my advantage. Like the times that they had to do those meetings, like I would have to miss school and my parents were really concerned that I'd be a straight A student. So it's like, they had completely different priorities, yep. you know? So and then there wasn't anybody to actually fully sit down with my mom, who at the time, like they spoke English. Both my parents speak perfect English now. But at the time, I will say that they, you know, they struggled. They'd only been in the country for like, what, 10 years. So I don't think my care was good. I think it could have been a lot better. But well, I don't I, fault the people there personally. And I can speak to that, too. I think just being behind the scenes of like D101, which is the the full day thing you described. Like I, I feel I was examining my own relationship with that. Like I didn't want to go. Uh, my parents sort of made me go and they both took off work for the day and like made that happen. But again, like privileged enough that they could take the day off, that they both were in situations where, you know, my mom worked for herself uh, and my dad, uh, you know, made his, he was an executive, so made his own schedule. So it was like, you know, if he has to take a day off, no big deal. Um, and I was just a teenage kid so I was just against anything my parents wanted to do at that point but, but I was aware like I'm I was super aware of it like I was aware like my parents could not like my my mom didn't work but she took care of my brothers and I knew my dad couldn't miss work and right. I knew that I couldn't miss school because like who's gonna make good grades and get us out of poverty air trail like it was right. I don't know like I feel like the stacks were really up against me plus diabetes like and these people did not help me because this is when they told me that I couldn't eat tortillas and like cultural foods and like all so it was just like a mess. Well, we went to that first day and my mom was like. And I know, I know that they've only recently in the last like two or three years added a Spanish class once a month. And this is like pre-COVID. So I know back then they didn't have that. So I no, think that that 
today, hopefully your experience would be better, at least, at least from a communication standpoint, you'd be able to see that. And I think also just shows how far in 20 years that diabetes uh, education has come because yeah, that was the thing like, oh, eth no ethnic foods, no uh, cultural important foods. And, and we talk about this on the podcast that we just released this week, how important food is in Mexican culture. Uh, and an immigrant culture in general or just access to you've been the right kind of technology like all my friends had pumps all my friends had everything they needed I couldn't get a pump they literally made it impossible I had to do like some program that was like you have to test your blood sugar every hour and a half and I couldn't like do my carbs by myself without my mom so it's like how do I figure all this out mom was like it's too complicated I can't help you figure it out like I have three other kids to feed right now so we'll figure it out in a few years I didn't get a pump until I was 23 so it's just mm. I just feel like a lot of the like especially at Children's, which is a hospital that takes kids with Medicaid, like those resources should have been more available to somebody like me. And it just sucks that they weren't. And I hope that things are better. But big, huge shout out to Dr. Dixon. Uh, he was awesome. If anybody ever had Grace Tanine, she sucks. She kicked me out of the ER once. She told my mom we were lying. Like that's what I'm saying. Children's was, I don't want to say it was racist. Like, I don't want to say that. But we had so many terrible things happen to us from different white people that we were just like, okay, Children's, y'all are weird. Yeah, so, I think it's just, I think it speaks to medical bias and racism, race, racial bias in medicine, which is something yeah. that we're going to talk about a lot more next year as well. But, um, you know, racial bias in medicine is real. All you got to do is Google medical uh, race, racial bias in medicine. And it'll come up with a lot of journals and studies. Um, even, even the research is racially biased. So I think that's something that, you know, as a diabetes community, we're going to continue to talk about not just in diabetes, but in other healthcare practices, even as even down to primary care. Uh, just look at yeah. the percentage of primary cares per capita in communities of color versus white communities. Very different. So yeah, it's going to be something that we continue to talk about. And I think like normalizing different diagnosis experiences is super important. Uh, a girl who was on the pod, uh, her, she's a doctor now. Uh, she was on like the first 10 episodes they she spoke english only english her doctor the diagnoser gave her a dvd in spanish to teach her how to do her uh diabetes uh like education and that was it they gave her the prescription was she in, in america she, yeah she, she was, was in texas she was in tejas and they just gave was her they're she... like hey we're out of it we're out of the english uh dvds like here's the spanish one good luck was she a Hispanic girl at least? Like they thought that she spoke Spanish? No, nope, my God. Nope. This is just like, hey, take this seat. Good luck. Let's see where it, they were like, let's throw it at the wall. See what sticks. Yeah, they were like, I just got, I got no time for this. So I think, you know, there's, uh, there's they, diagnosis, diagnosis stories run the gamut. We all know if you've ever been to a meetup or you've ever been like a diabetes online chat or what have you, like you hear about them, uh, but normalizing the different experiences, even in the same hospital and relatively the same time. Uh, for people who would later get know each other through uh, social media and the community is super, super important. So it's actually okay. like sick, but yeah, um, I think that was, yeah, that was it. I think just interesting that we were both diagnosed same hospital and have absolutely like opposite ends of the spectrum. Like this is beautiful. It just so. goes to show that there are, everybody's diabetes is different. There's not a whole lot of consistency, uh, even with variables that are relatively controlled. So anyway, uh, yeah. have a great rest of December, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Thanks for listening to us. Listen to us next year. It's going to be dope. And keep it live. Happy like Rob says. Year. Yeah, keep it live. Keep it live. <laughs> um, all right. Thanks, guys. Hey, one last thing before we close out the year. I just wanted to say thank you for keeping it locked on Diabetics Doing Things for yet another year. Going into 2016, 
with my first episode recorded, ready to launch and share this podcast with the world. I never imagined the opportunities it would give me to meet people all over the world, to have great conversations with people who have been so giving of their time. So thank you for listening. Thank everybody who's ever been a part of an episode. And I cannot wait to continue to tell the amazing stories of people living with diabetes from all over the world and continue to do my best to represent all of the things that people with diabetes are doing and everything that we're going through on a day-to-day basis. So have a safe, happy, and fun new year, and we'll see you guys in 2021.